I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. and welcome to episode 66 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Alyssa Torres. Alyssa is a SANS analyst and principal SANS instructor specializing in advanced digital forensics and incident response, or as we call it in the industry, DFIR. Alyssa was recognized by SC Magazine as one of its 2016 Women to Watch and a recipient of the Infuse 2018 Difference Makers Award for her efforts in educational outreach. She has more than 15 years of experience in computer network security that spans government, academic, and corporate environments. Her current role as founder and senior consultant at Cybertor Forensics, a security operations and incident response consulting company, provides daily challenges in the trenches and demands constant technical growth. Alyssa is a frequent presenter at industry conferences such as RSA, B-Sides, ShmooCon, and Infuse, and has taught hundreds of security professionals over the last five years in more than 12 countries. As the lead author of SANS Forensics 526, Advanced Memory Forensics and Threat Detections course, she's passionate about memory management and forensic artifact hunting. In this episode, we discuss being confused with Heather Mahalik, running a help desk, file system forensics, memory forensics, balancing blue teams and red teams, when to add threat hunting to your program, the value of certifications, balancing work and life, keeping your skills current, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. All right, Alyssa, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, no, you've been, you know, you've been in ask to have on the show for some time, um, yourself, uh, Heather, and a bunch of others. But uh, I, I've noticed something about uh, the women in DFIR. You guys are the hardest ones to pin down from times. And my only, oh, no. only, only change <laughs> because you guys are actually too busy actually doing the work. Like you guys are out there kicking butt. And so it's, it's too hard to yeah. like cor- corner you. Right. You know, so I can, you know, I can call like half the guys in the SANS DFIR thing. They're like, yeah, I'm available in like an hour. I got nothing going on. But no, you guys have been, you guys have been cranking it. Oh my goodness. I, I have a great deal of respect for Heather. Um, and we should, both of us should come on at the same time just to prove that we're two different entities. Often confused. You know, I've, I've ridden in an elevator with uh, two gentlemen at a national stands conference and they like, they were glowing. They're like, we are, you are the reason why we're here. We are so psyched to see you again. And, and they, they left the elevator and I was like, I have never seen those two in my life. Like, what just happened and then i realized that that's how heather lives her life you know like people are super psyched to see her <laughs> all the time and i was like just a little glimpse of what that is like uh, yeah i'm the grumpy yeah i'm, I'm the grumpy one and, and she's uh, you know super super happy so it, it, we should be easy to tell apart yeah <laughs> But she was, yeah, she's, she, I've been, I've been, it's every couple, every about a month or so I'll check and say, hey, do you have any time? And she'll be like, no, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm traveling the next 19 out of 24 weeks or something like that. (laughs) Like, okay. Yeah, it's serious. It's it's serious stuff. 
know, we, we all kind of have these these interesting journeys of getting to where we are, and you know, just kind of yeah, you know, doing my OSNet on, on on you. I mean, you've kind of had a, an interesting background, and it's it's not a short one in technology. I mean, like me, you've been you've been doing this for some time, but kind of tell us how you got started. Did it start in the military and then private sector, or was there a clear cutoff? I, I would agree with that. Actually, you know, I, I'm an alumni of University of Virginia, but nursing. ROTC, that's how I uh, paid for school, was through ROTC scholarship. Uh, I realized I didn't want to be in the nurse corps, so um, I was able to kind of swap out my obligation to pay back the government by becoming a Marine, and it was a good fit. Uh, it really was, because I was all into uh, lots of physical uh, activities and a rough schedule, so it's good. But, uh, you know, while I was in the Marine Corps as a junior officer, they sent me through a long pipeline of training. It was at the time they were combining radio wire, electronic communications with uh, computers, information security and information systems. So it was good. Uh, it just really timely that I got the opportunity to be exposed to all of this good stuff. I walked away with my paper MCSE from the Marine Corps. Wow. And that's how I got my, my help desk job. I know. <laughs> so a lot of people think junior, well, junior officers in the Marine Corps, we like, we walk right into rock star positions, but no, when you're leaving the Marine Corps as a, as a, what, a first lieutenant or captain select, uh, you have some junior management skills. Like I was able to run a platoon of a bunch of 20-year-olds, but I had to go back if I wanted to be hands-on IT. You know, you have to start from the beginning again. So uh, it was, a, a, what, a journey, you know, very humbling. Uh, but I guess the Marine Corps was too. <laughs> so yeah, I came from the, from the systems admin side, uh, help desk technicians. I was a help desk technician when you had to be able to lift 50 pounds because of the CRT, the big monitors on people's uh, desks. And uh, I know that dates me, but yeah, it's it kind of just fell in love with security through a couple of jobs that I held. I worked with some former law enforcement who were of the forensics persuasion. And, and uh, one, one of my buddies actually lent me Brian Carrier's file system forensic analysis book. And with that, I was able to take my ENCE study up and take my ENCE to um, guidance software, you know, NK certification. Sure. And I was able to land my first, my first forensics job like that. Yeah. So I had the right cert and knew how to use the right tool. And I, again, I, I know that I'm fortunate. Yeah. And that's, you know, it still goes back to there's, there's a lot of the basics. I had some folks, you know, we, we obviously now we, we see a lot of IR in the clouds and other, other, you know, <laughs> devices, but we had, a, I really, I tortured everybody this past week with Brian's book in deep level, uh, file system forensics. Oh yeah. And then I, I made them do a bunch of stuff with David Cohen's, uh, Triforce and really like go through all the, you know, MFT artifacts. And they were just like, I don't understand why am I seeing it this way? I was like, try harder, you know, but yeah, you really have to kind of go back oh, and yeah. dig, in, dig in. It's not easy stuff, but it, it's a lot of those basics that sometimes I, I fear get, um, not drilled into people's heads enough when they come across it, because it's, uh, it's still relevant, even though we're moving to cloud environments. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of tools provide that well, several layers of abstraction. So if you know how to use the tool, then you don't have to understand the, those aspects or those concepts. Um, I, I tell you, I, I was going through the IASIS certification, the CFCE, not to be a, a cert hound or pitch a lot of different certifications, uh, but none of them being SANS right now. That's pretty interesting. But the IASIS certification is that long journey where you have a mentor and you go back and forth and you turn in a report and they say, no, it sucks, re rewrite it. But I had just turned in my FCK dongle and my NK dongle. And all I had was the 60 second preview of WinHex in forensic mode in order to get through, in order to get through the CFCE. 
um, yeah, so again, a good journey. That and Brian Carrier's book, and I was able to to make out. Okay, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, for sure. But but even in that, now I've seen you know kind of you know talk about a lot. You have, certainly have a good amount of search and letters after your name, but I've also seen you develop a lot of courses for for institutes like SANS, where you're now an instructor. And um, how did some of the development of some of those courses, particularly, I'm always interested in the memory forensics and death because. Th- that, you know, was, you know, one of those things, particularly when you talk about law enforcement years ago, was always the pull the plug until we started saying, uh, wait a minute, there's things in memory we need. Um, how did you kind of come up with the approach to that and actually even build a syllabus for something around that? Well, I tell you, I was fortunate because uh, Jesse Kornblum, he had his hand uh, in uh, crafting that original course for SANS. He was the one that added to the SANS catalog. Maybe a lot of people don't know that, that the 526 was written by Jesse Kornblum. Maybe that, that would bring the masses, the, the crowds, right? Uh, the guy the guy who wrote our foremost carving tool is the one that wrote the 526 upon uh, kind of like initial pass that had a lot, a lot of that academic approach to it. Uh, and Jake and I took it over and added a whole bunch of hands-on, like, now try it, try it on this memory image, try it on that memory image. And, and this particularly, uh, people would learn better when they wrap scenarios uh, around the reason why are we in, investigating this machine. Uh, so the 526 has a lot of that. Um, in addition to the Net Wars challenge, because everyone loves the gamification, uh, seeing their name in lights, you know, the banner flashing uh, uh, at the top of the screen when they submit the correct answer to the scoring server. So we found that uh, really to be one of the, most likes parts, people talk about that. So now it's every day. It's at the end of every day. We made it the class of boot camp. So whether that's going to you know hold people's attention, so far so good. We've had two runs of the boot camp, and it, it, people have stayed until seven p.m. at night. Can you believe that? Just parsing memory images, huh? Parsing memory images, competing <laughs> with with their peers to the left and right. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of page file, a little bit of hibernation and crash dump too, because you have to. But uh, it's. It's a valuable skill these days, and I find about half of my class is from the offensive space. Uh, yeah, so people are, are really interested in if I'm crafting this malware, if I'm performing this code injection technique, how does that show up, and how is the examiner going to find it? So I, you might pose to me, like, how, how dare you uh, teach the bad guys? But a lot of these people, they say they're red teamers, and, you know, red team and blue team, we have a similar mission. Okay, the same mission. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny to see, you know, to see, when we bring the pen testers into some of the forensic classes, because they, you know, in their mind, they're always so, so sneaky, and the good ones are, but... I think they they don't always see it from the uh, from the investigator's perspective, which also brings into an issue of cross training. You know, just trying to develop a you know maybe a well rounded security practitioner. But do you think like there I, obviously there's value in that? But how do you how do you try to get people to say okay, well you're gonna have is it an eighty twenty rule where hey eighty percent of the time you're going to be in forensics and twenty percent in pen testing and vice versa? What's a good balance? Would you think for people to kind of be able to see both sides of the coin? I think that's a hard question. I'm not going to give you easy ones, no. No, that's so mean. Um, I haven't seen this successfully implemented. And and we have a a real issue that I'm going to boil this down to in our field. I haven't seen it successfully implemented in a company's uh, internal security team yet, that concept of cross-training. I've seen people in, in rare situations be able to leave the incident response team and go to pen testing, uh, but this 
this 80 20 i've i've never seen work quite well and i you might be able to back me up on this that oftentimes if you are going to make that shift from offense to defense or vice versa that you have to <laughs> you have to depart the company you're currently standing in in order to jump into another space and and this is this is a problem we're losing institutional knowledge because we're really not able to offer those opportunities for for you know you were blue team and you got bored let me let me show you that uh, perspective of the attacker uh you know we we talk about this in stands classes i talk about uh, retention with a lot of other stands uh, instructors and cybersecurity professionals in the field and I, I don't know. What what is the answer? What have you seen? What works? Yeah, it's tough. It's uh, uh, yeah. I always try to do that. We're all. I, I mean, I've literally ran practices where I'll have the red team on one side of the desk and the blue team on the other. And you know, somebody's working on casework here, and somebody's doing some pen testing. I'll say, hey, you know, watch over each other's shoulders. But inevitably, people gravitate towards what their metrics are you know, that to be measured against and whether that's being billable uh, or utilized. And it's like, I can invest my time in that, but how do you, it's, it becomes an incentive issue to say, Hey, why don't you stop and not be so busy in this, uh, that's your bread and butter and focus on something else. It's, it's always a challenge both okay. up and down the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you have to incentivize it, build it into, or allow for it. Allow for it. I as, think. Yeah. part of the, uh, but then that becomes okay. a challenge within its own self because then, you know, one of the issues that we, I, I think there's enough debate, but maybe where I think we're seeing more of a definite kind of falling onto the side of, uh, you know, the earth is round, that there's definitely a, a personnel and talent shortage within inside the industry. Now, within that, you know, we can kind of bifurcate that to a lot of areas, mm -hmm. but do, do you see that as still being an issue? I mean, obviously, you're, you're trying to train people up as much as possible, but, you know, where's this, the quote unquote skills gap and, you know, what other areas, um, within skills can we apply to maybe shore up some of those, you know, whether they're soft skills or other technical skills? Oh, man. Um, I, we recently, my last full-time job, uh, we did so many interviews because we were moving our SOC internal. Uh, and so we, we talked and engaged a lot of current uh, security operations analysts who are behind a particular tool. Maybe they'd gotten used to one sim and they were just solid. Uh, they understood what button to click. I mean, this, this sounds very much like forensic examiners too, who are very comfortable with one platform or GUI. But uh, I actually found a correlation, mentioned another cert, it's competing. I found a correlation between those folks who had been through CEH training because we were standing up our uh, two shifts in Bangalore. So CEH was a lot more common over there. But people who had been exposed to the broad topics covered, I mean, broad, talking like big picture topics that CH brings to bear, did so much better. And, and I, they really had my confidence as opposed to folks who may have been experts behind one particular tool, but were missing out on the big picture. And I think that's an obligation that employers have. Uh, and they have to stand tall and they have to bring this to the, their employees, their security team, is why are we doing this? Because we can become so uh, efficient at drilling down into a particular alert through a sim and, and then you know escalating it and, and really moving it to remediation or false positive. But if you don't understand why you're doing it, then what is you're really not you don't have any marketable skills. I'll put you behind another tool and you'll be totally lost and not have you know that driving force, if you will, like the understanding of even why the attacker would want to compromise the environment. Uh, you know, I, I Try to be equal opportunity here, but CEH for the win that time. Couldn't believe it. Very good. Yeah, it's in, and that kind of maybe comes down to some of that. I mean, are obviously very SANS focused, but I mean, um, 
you know, where do you value the certifications in the process versus the training? And, you know, I'm always interested to hear people's response to that because it's, it's there's always a, an interesting fireside chat about that. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I have... I'm certainly not, as you look at my, my resume, my LinkedIn profile, I'm not one of those people that are, uh, say, ah, oh, you know, uh, I'm above certs, certs don't test anything. I think certifications, and I had a conversation with the, a CISO, Fortune 50 company that had gone into perform and help build their incident response team. He, he said, the first thing I did when I landed in this job, and I was all ears, because he's brand new too. First thing I landed, I did when I landed in this job was I sent my core people to CISSP training. And I was like, dude, what? that's interesting. I mean, what an outlay of money. And, and uh, I was like, so what was your, you know, were you just trying to retain them? Or are you giving them a, a bone? And he was like, no, I want everyone to have that basic vocabulary. So if we have, you know, a perimeter breach or someone wants to talk about air gap defenses. So, you know, I want us all to be talking about the same thing. And I think that's what certifications are really strong on is making sure that you've been exposed to content. Not going to say you're a master operator, uh, you know, but, but when I say the word, you know, breach, you'll know, Hey, that's, that's pretty significant. Don't use it lightly. This, this, this uh, conversation, this vocabulary is very important in our field. Words matter. Yeah, it does. It, it, it kind of normalizes things a little bit, which we all know is a, a, a fun thing to do is just normalizing data and communications and, and response and security. Um, but, you know, I've talked to some others as well said, you know, it's it's kind of like a, a driver's license. You know, you can get it when you're 16. It doesn't oh. mean you're the best driver in the world, but it means you meet the, you know, the minimal right. proficiencies to kind of take the car out on the road and hopefully not, you know, kill somebody. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I like that analogy very much. There we go. Let's go. So we solved, <laughs> we, we solved the security issue now. <laughs> but next on to some of the other things is like, you know, outside of that, there's, there's obviously a lot of other developing skills. You know, you've worked on doing the memory forensics and, and really with, you know, uh, Windows Forensics 500 and 508 within SANS, it's kind of, I've seen that change quite a bit um, over time. So what are some of the new uh, skills either you're training for or trying to encourage others to um, at least have situational awareness for? Sure. Um, I, it's a fine time to mention the Forensics 508 class since this week. We're talking. This week, what is this? Uh, Tuesday? This is day two of the new content rolling out. So uh, in New Orleans right now, they have entirely new enterprise. It's still Stark Research Lab, but it's like six years later. And Stark Research Lab has yet again been compromised uh, by a different threat actor exhibiting more advanced skill sets. Uh, and thank goodness that the incident response team that works at Stark Research Labs brings to bear enterprise level uh, data aggregation and, and triage collection. I'm, I'm really excited. I get to teach it next week in London. And it's amazing how different it is because it addresses that uh, you got to collect data at a large scale in order to perform effective threat hunting, you know, do that whole uh, least frequency of occurrence most frequently occurring, you know, nah, I don't want to look at that. Just show me things that are one-off, onesies, twosies. Uh, it, it, it's exciting times uh, when you have that amount of data and some effective tools to slice and dice it. So um, I'd say, yeah, I mean, we're all trying to gain mastery of how to manage the data that we're bringing back. It used to be we didn't have enough. Now it's way, way, uh, you know, titrating and really bubbling up what matters and what we can hang our hat on and derive significance from. Uh, you're going to see that in the, the 508, the new 508 class. So um, I'm psyched. I'm psyched. I think it's going to get rave reviews. 
Well, in, in, in 508 and in some of the other, you know, terminologies that you use around it um, and, and that and other is it's certainly around threat hunting. And another question I've asked several folks that have been on the show before is, you know, how would you define threat hunting versus incident response? <laughs> um, so threat hunting is actually, it gives you uh, more space to be creative. Uh, I say that uh, many organizations shouldn't even be talking about forming a threat hunting team yet because their incident response team is uh, safe, 100% utilized. You know, nobody has time to think lofty thoughts, to be creative, and, and say, okay, how, this is the new tactic. How is that going to show up in the logs? You know, uh, if, if you don't have extra cycles to even get ahead of the, the operational tempo of handling uh, escalated incidents, then uh, the threat hunting is not for you yet. You know, that that's definitely uh, on the road to maturity for an internal security team, but man, I would still really have a retainer for folks to bring this skill to bear inside my environment. So yeah, so threat hunting, looking for things that are not yet defined. And as I was saying, like we have to bring that element of creativity, which is oftentimes not available to us when we're, when we're being beaten down by dumpster fires. I mean, have you seen the same thing? What, what do you have going on? Yeah, there? it's always difficult. You know, it's, it's trying to, and it's the one thing that I've taken away. And I think, uh, I think I stole it from, from Rob Lee when he was listening to his, uh, the portions of the 508 course after I took it. And he was listening to the, the recordings where he said, you know, it's a lot about operational tempo and how it could be a kind of almost a nine to five where, you know, instant response, you get the call four o'clock on a Friday and your weekend's blown because you're just, you're working all weekend and you know, you're looking for things that have happened, but you don't know all the IOCs yet where, you know, you're still trying to develop the IOCs and threat hunting and say, oh, this is interesting, or this is maybe something that we, we didn't know was there. So it's the, uh, unknown knows and then trying to differentiate all that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm glad to hear you listen to those MP3s. That's I good. do. They're, they're very good. They're, prep, they're great prep courses. And especially for anybody that's that's taken uh, 504, and if you get a chance to listen to John Strand's stuff, it's uh, he always has so many good stories in that that I I missed. I didn't actually take that class with him because uh, that would be that would have been a, a, just cool hearing it from him directly from the uh, from the horse's mouth. Yeah, so to speak. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know, so it's it's also easy to you know kind of bring up some of the other cliche terms, but they're they're maybe not so cliche anymore. But you know, certainly cloud forensics, we've seen a lot that's occurred with that over the past year, uh, particularly around Office three sixty five business email compromises, the logs that are available, and you know what's available to us as as investigators um, when you go into an enterprise environment. You hopefully have some logs, at least have something you can maybe recover because it's tangible versus going to a, you know, maybe a third party provider that may or may not have stuff or may not even have stuff documented. How are you kind of mentally preparing yourself for some of these changes when you know, you're going to have to start looking at more third, say third party environments or cloud or SaaS, IAS, or whatever you want to call it, where you, right. may, you may not be able to go plug in and grab something? <laughs> Isn't it, the, the vendors promise. They, they promise. Uh, tool integration, <laughs> compatibility, legacy compatibility. Uh, I, uh, um, am I going to go ahead and cop out and say the very close relationship uh, with the technology vendors that you have chosen to drop into your space? And hopefully the, the choices have been sound uh, based on, you know, capabilities that they've brought to bear inside your, your I don't know, bringing bring in, uh, data resources back and, and aggregate. Uh, I think there's really fast, fast, 
fast movement in this space, uh, as well there should be. You know, so EDR, uh, there's so many competitors currently, and they're just things just keep getting better uh, with our ability to draw things back from the host. Uh, with with PowerShell version six, totally psyched uh, with these additional logging capabilities. So I, I think there, are, it's just staying on top of things. You know, knowing what is out there to draw upon. What are some of your resources that you would suggest to people? Because I, I mean, I try to keep up with the Twitter feed, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's hard, yeah. coffee, whiskey, and lots of mailing lists. I mean, that's the best oh you can God, do. Oh my mailing lists! But you know, <laughs> which hopefully they don't diverge into you know or into a complete finger pointing. But you know, you, you try to, and it's difficult. Um, but you know, even with you know, with some of the stuff, they'll stand up and like say an Office 365 tenant and subscribe as an admin to as many notifications to know what's coming out down the pipeline and then try to document that and tell it to my team. But it, it's uh, it's tricky. Um, and there's a lot of research that seems to me need to be done in, in areas that people don't quite understand yet. That's fair. That's fair. Although I tell everybody to learn DevOps and Power PowerShell at this point so you can have a career in the future because that seems to be a large shift of where things are going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, .net. yeah. So, you know, when, when you when in your your kind of day to day operations, you're still, I'm assuming, you're still doing quite a decent amount of incident response. Uh, largely more of the forensics. Like I am single single machines because it's just me, my company. Uh, so, what I what I take in is a lot of consulting work, going and engaging incident response teams. I don't perform the the hunting myself. Uh, so, more setting up sound procedures, offering that type of advice. But I also do forensic investigations at small scale, one-offs, inappropriate relations. Uh, like, what happened to this machine? These, these are the things I get to play around. And, and they, it keeps me, I don't know whether you could say current, because isn't that all dependent upon the environment that your customer is like pushing machines from? But, uh, you know, definitely an active mind uh, that's moving through. Chris Sanders would be so proud. The investigation theory. <laughs> You've taken that class, I'm sure. Investigation theory class from Chris Sanders. Oh, excellent, excellent. But yeah, you got to keep the uh, investigative mind sharp. So all that. Uh, well, with that goes analytic some, theory. Yeah, with, with some of the, the some of the skills. I mean. The, the the kind of baiting question that I have is, you know, what, what are some of the skills outside of technical skills that you encourage or like to see in people in the field? You know, what are some of the soft skills or things that you, you'd hope more people would develop? Sure. Uh, mentoring is tremendous. And when I was running an incident response team, I thought, oh, I'm the leader. I will mentor everyone. But I realized, I realized that a, a lot of it wasn't coming from me. I, I mentioned that we were bringing our SOC internal. So we had a lot of junior SOC analysts. Uh, my incident response team, the senior folks on my team, they stepped up and they started just molding young minds, right? Uh, this is how you're going to handle the spam mailbox. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, it's not coming from leadership, the people that are, you know, batting off the, the big projects, uh, you know, and, uh, big JIRA projects that are coming down the pike. It, it's it's uh, one-to-one relationships and, and being able to transfer that knowledge to the people that are at the perimeter that need it the most. So they can make really fast decisions as to whether to throw something in, escalate it, uh, or, or can they handle this themselves? And the more you empower the people at the perimeter who are working like, I don't know, junior stock analyst positions, ah, it's a, the, more, the, the longer you're going to retain them, speaking of back to retention and looping it back around, but also uh, you're going to be able to handle more. The whole process becomes more efficient. 
this is a mentoring. I, I would look for mentoring skills. And I think it's probably in every job description that I've seen out there lately. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it too. And it's funny, there was a post, uh, I can't remember who, who had posted it. Um, but kind of saying, you know, the, the some of the real problem with this skill shortage, and when we're not having enough people and trained up is, is that mentoring? Um, us that have been doing it for right. a while just can't be the, oh, just try harder camp. And I had to Google everything myself. That doesn't scale well. It's hard to, when you have 10 people you have to bring up to say, oh, well, you, you all just go figure it out on your, on your own. There needs to be some, some greater structure, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, it does. I, I really think that there's a demand for efficiency and uh, and it, it impacts the entire team. If if you don't have an efficient solution, uh, the wiki, a set of procedures that are already well-defined that, you know, fit different use cases for your junior folks to draw upon, that's rough. Yeah, and one of the other things that's come up, at least in my observations and talking to other folks, is, is is within that too is the communication skills. So both, and it goes both ways. It goes you know down to people that you're reporting to you and up and how you communicate things to to either a client or a superior. But it seems to be that the communications aspect is still not right as or maybe not as honed as it could be in a lot of areas. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, and I, I, back in my day, probably seven years ago, I applied for a job and I, I got the job offer. It was fantastic. It was like, uh, this is amazing. But I talked to a gentleman who had given me a technical interview after the fact. Uh, he and I worked together for a little bit and he was like, hey, I told him to hire you immediately, but just don't put you in front of the customer. And I was like, wah, wah, wah. Like, what? How could you say that? But I think you speak to uh, a, a different set of vocabulary, different method of communication you have to have a skill for it or develop it, develop this particular skill in order to properly pass on or communicate knowledge, uh, status checks to a customer or, or top level execs. I, clearly, I didn't have it seven years ago. The tact wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people would argue that it's still not there. But, you know, I, I, I appreciated the feedback because we don't get raw feedback enough, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, going to that in feedback and mentorships, who, who are some of the folks that have kind of helped you out and mentored you along the way that you can say, wow, I've been able to kind of stand on the shoulders of giants yourself? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, working with the instructor pool, the SANS instructor pool has been an incredible experience, uh, both the soft skills side. Uh, I love sitting in every, every chance I get. Um, one of the good things is I can position myself to listen to other instructors present their at nights or sit in the back of their class and just observe them. So uh, I'm often collecting presentation skills, honestly, you know, obviously it's been identified as a need, <laughs> but, but uh, Rob Lee has definitely been a very significant mentor in my life um, for all of the above, for technical, for crafting courseware, for the, the effective delivery of content to students. Um, he, he's definitely changed, say, the path my life has taken and, uh, you know, give him a shout out. Oh, I always give Rob a shout out. I mean, he's, he's helped so many of us in the community and it's, I'm, I'm convinced there's a, there's a doppelganger or some kind of twin of him because, you know, from that period of mid 2000s to today, it's just the amount of uh, content he's created, both in courseware, stuff he's published, and then still having a day yeah. job, yeah. kids. I mean, I, I just don't know how he finds the time. Eh, 
amazing. He's one of the superheroes that he speaks so highly of. (laughs) But it it comes down to, certainly as as you're, you know, teaching and and kind of managing your own practice, how do you find the time to do what you have to do? It it seems like, you know, when I look at, you know, your teaching schedule and everything you have, it's, you know, you have quite a bit on your plate yourself. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you, um, a lot of people don't know, but I I stayed at home with my kids for five years, uh, and now they're teenagers, so uh, I still have to be present. (laughs) Like, I may no longer have to drive them around from gymnastics to, like, you know, instrument practice, but I still have to uh, at least present an honest side of my life that my kids are my priority. Uh, and so my passion for forensics, absolutely. It it brings joy to my life, but I, you know, it has to be a well-balanced approach because they're going to my, my finest achievement. Um, however they end up, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) So 16 and 14 year old, uh, right now. And, uh, they make my life very exciting. Yeah, it's funny, Mitch. I actually uh, th- this afternoon I have gymnastics shuttling to do with my year old and her friends. But it it be- definitely becomes something some some moments there where there's a lot of things you 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 basically have to say no to, even though you may want to do them. But it's the balance of career and life that becomes a challenge. And I find myself saying no to things uh, more more often than not. Of hey, can you just take a look at this? Or this will only take five minutes. It never just takes five minutes. There's always there's always an added cost. Um, so you have to find there's a lot, a lot of boundaries yeah, you have to yeah. put up. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and then just knowing what you're interested in. I I have a. Oh my God, here we go. I have a Pluralsight subscription. I have an INE subscription now, like just annual. I just, if I'm ever interested in anything, and then of course there's YouTube. Uh, if I'm ever interested in anything, it's there. And, and just the content is just so incredibly available. It's easy to get waylaid. And um, let me just, one more PowerShell class, you know? And um, I, I really don't know what the future holds with this uh, in, waylaid in information and, and uh it's exciting. It's exciting. You can hear how excited I am. This is my fourth year as a Pluralsight uh, subscription holder, and it's all for the Windows internals class from Pavel. Uh, so yeah, I just continue to listen to that over and over again. But yeah, it's kind of being able to cull what you're interested in and focus on that, uh, not to disagree with uh, Phil Hagen, who says we have to be generalists. But I think there is an element of, I want to know this and I want to know it well. And in order to do so, you have to shave off some other things, distractions. Uh, yeah. And that's difficult, right? What are you passionate about? But what is the one thing you want to learn more about? You're, you're saying you're espousing everyone PowerShell. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely PowerShell <laughs> and, and a lot of the cloud stuff. I spent a good portion of the last year in internal projects and doing a full on-prem uh, server set up in a couple different offices to a very hybrid cloud environment. And I felt uh, like I was back taking my MCSE class in 1993, where uh. I was learning things all over again. There was a lot of things that, yeah. yes, they applied, but I was learning things from scratch again and really had to eat some humble pie that, yeah, I, I'm learning something completely new. Um, and it's exciting, yeah. but it's also scary at times because uh, you realize, wow, there's this can never end. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's going to, man. I don't. I don't think it's going to. <laughs> no, like I said, you got to set some time aside every 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 week. It seems to to at least learn something a little, you know, that's that's changed or different, um, and, and just try to stay right. ahead of it. <laughs> 
And okay. that's good advice, right? For yeah. people in this field, because oftentimes we get uh, stuck in process and procedure and, and it is quite successful and we're getting faster at it. But if we never venture outside our daily duties, then we're not going to grow, right? So, if, you know, the passion might die. Uh, it becomes, what is it called? Rote. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I tell people they have, to, they have to kind of basically live outside their comfort zone and security. As soon as you figure out you're comfortable in something, you got to stop and move on to something else that you just don't know and, and kind of continually uh, refresh your, that awful feeling of I'm the new kid in the class. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the 599 class is uh, excellent for that. As uh, I don't know if you've heard about it yet, but Sec 599, <laughs> yeah, a brainchild of, uh, wow, I'm, I'm blanking on his name now. Oh, Eric Vuganoff, Vuganbach. Oh, shoot. Ah, and uh, Stephen Sims. Okay. And what, what's that one going to yeah. cover? Oh, so this one's already out. It's been out for, it has, it's the GDAT cert. Uh, so I'm obviously in love with the class because I set the cert. But no, the 599 is a red team, blue team. And it's a virtualized environment. Like every student has their own lane to screw things up, like to lock themselves out of their environment. Luckily it resets. But, uh, but it's wild, right? Because you have these domain dominance uh, techniques. Being, you're deploying them, right? You're taking over, you're issuing the skeleton key, and then you're going back and trying to fix it as, as the blue teamer and uh, via group policy implementations. And so uh, like a lot of us don't have that large-scale blue team if we've been doing forensics we, we're not going to roll in and be like and now group policy needs to look like this to solve my problem uh, so this this course brings it all together i think there's a lot of courses that are being added to the sans catalog that are kind of uh, also modeling that holistic perspective in order to be good at the blue you need to understand the red and you know True. Oh yeah, it, it's it's true. You really do have to build that base, and obviously, with my lot of junior staff, say, you know, what's what you know, training and certification path that starts. I was like, oh, you spend a couple of years just building the base, and then from there, you can start picking off some specialization. You know, never never say uh, that you're never not going to do something, but try a lot of little things along the way. But you still have to build up those those base, and sometimes they're just their basic IT skills, particularly in an enterprise environment, how group policy works and how an active directory environment works versus a single local login. It's There's some nuance there, yeah. particularly as an investigator, that can save you a tremendous amount of time if you have that understanding. It's true. It's true. Very cool. Yeah. Well, listen, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. So where else can people find you? I, obviously, I, they can probably find you right on the SAN site because that's where I'm looking at you right now. Oh, that's right. I'm going to London next week uh, to teach the new 508. And then uh, I'll be in Orlando teaching the boot camp 526, the memory forensics class. So, you know, if you want to stay until 7 p.m. doing memory, it's awesome. Orlando is the place to be mm-hmm, in oh, April. Oh God, it's, it's coming up, it's, it's, which is only two months away, which is scary. Yes. <laughs> Years already flying by. Well, I'll be sure to put all that stuff in the show notes of where they can find you and, and links to the SANS classes. But I greatly appreciate you, you taking the time today. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. No, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.